This episode of AVXL was recorded on April 29th, 2020. We're going to talk about ARC versus eARC, NAS boxes, the return of 3D TV, moving to St. Louis, and quite a bit more. Don't forget, ask at AVXL if you've got a question for us. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AV Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And I am about to travel back to St. Louis for the third time in a few weeks. Oh, man. Or the second time in about two weeks or a week and a half. A week. It all bleeds together. The family and I are moving to St. Louis, which means I can finally get my projection screen and projector out of storage. Aw, that sounds like a good thing. Yes. I'm actually more excited about having a washer and dryer at arm's reach again than I am about my projection screen. So don't hate me, but I really miss having my own washer and dryer. (laughs) I often take that small luxury for granted, but man, is it nice. Laundry is expensive you're doing it by quarters <laughs> to say the very least we were talking about arc and a single cable run uh, a long hdmi cable run and you had some concerns about how the tv was mounted and how that might impact access to its hdmi ports uh, we had that question last week with a person who has a single run going to a current tv with the avr i kind of assumed that they wouldn't have any problems simply connecting a bunch of gear to the TV itself that is wall-mounted already. And that may not be the case. There just may be nowhere to put it, or nor do you want stacked gear just sitting there next to a a wall-mounted TV. In most cases, when you have just that single cable running to your display, often you have usually all of the rest of the gear stashed somewhere else. Simply plugging everything into the TV may not be an option. One way to maybe get around that would be to use something like a 4K switch as well. So at least... Well, if you do have to make a direct connection to the TV, it'll only be that one wire, and then you could have multiple components just routed through one switch-like device. That might help. It's the trouble of having that in-wall run of cable. It would be nice if there was maybe a second run where it was HDMI plus Toslink optical cable or something coming back from the TV. But that's likely not the case, and that's the whole reason why ARC or eARC would be an ideal solution, to have the TV itself do all the decoding for whatever device is connected, and then route that back to the AVR. With his current setup, he will have to have a sacrifice in not being able to do lossless audio, like Dolby True HD or DTS HD Master Audio. Maybe those tracks will have to be downsampled for the interim until a new AVR is integrated that supports the full decoding of those lossless formats in addition to having a TV that would actually support sending that back as well. Hmm. It could just be the difference between living with Dolby Digital versus Dolby True HD for the time being, at least until the new gear arrives. It's always about surviving until the new gear arrives. (laughs) Yeah. I probably just kind of blew through. I blew through that answer saying just connect everything to the TV and that might not have been the most helpful thing to say. It would work, sure. But is it practical for that person's particular setup? Probably not. So we need nano malls that will automatically rearrange themselves around our cables and hide them. Ah! <laughs> conduit. If I could have a piece of conduit in there, I could do some other stuff. But I hear you. I'm just excited that I'm looking at a house that actually seems to have all grounded outlets with fairly modern wiring. This is very exciting for me. <laughs> Heck yeah. Keep it safe. Yeah, seriously. Um, are you looking at a new NASA here? I was. I have a couple of old NAS boxes that I've been using for 
over 10 years now. I've lost track. And while they still function okay, I find that their performance is really nowhere near what it is compared to today's newer NAS boxes. Yeah. Even basic things like having at least gigabit Ethernet, let alone a couple or a few gigabit Ethernet ports that can be linked together for a nice fat piece of bandwidth to throw data back and forth to the drives. In addition, I am a fan of using my NAS box to serve a variety of multimedia, including audio and video. I was looking at what was new from Synology simply because I have the most experience with their hardware. I use a few of their products on a fairly regular basis with one of the businesses I work with. Mm -hmm. I was checking out their 5Bay DS1019 Plus. That seemed to have that right balance of being able to do H.264, H.265, 4K video transcoding on the fly, in addition to just having all the other features built in that I really like, including their operating system in general. It has a very... Is incredibly good. Yeah, it has an app store-like environment, so you can kind of pick and choose what you want mm -hmm. the thing to do. It also supports cool stuff like BTRFS that is a good file system for just general protection and robustness in terms of actually keeping every bit that you're trying to save protected. Not to be just a straight-up commercial for Synology, but the very second I start thinking about buying one of their products, of course, suddenly that pops up are a series of reviews mentioning the new 2020 products, but I'm not seeing anything yet in a 5-bay design from them for for 2020 yet. If you're curious about what's happening with Synology, they do have a few new 2020 version from two to four bays featuring all of the features you might like nice. in terms of putting together, yeah, something to back up your data on locally. For me specifically, it's for streaming media, music, lossless CDs, and video files of all sorts, and my general backup as well. It's amazing what you can do, especially when you get into uh, multiple Ethernet ports on the back. If you have kind of the right setup, you can do some pretty amazing stuff in terms of backing up one machine while not interrupting a 4K transfer on another machine. One of the things you want to watch out for, Synology has a lot of products. You always want to make sure if you need to do transcoding, make sure you get one of their products that has the hardware that's been optimized for transcoding files, because you can actually have a more powerful faster NAS, but that won't do as good a job if you need to transcode stuff on the fly as a perhaps less expensive model. Very good point. Yeah, they do good stuff. I have two of their NASs in storage right now, which I'm looking forward to freeing and connecting back up to an Ethernet network <laughs> when the house gets moved. I also have no problem suggesting folks build their own as well. There are a lot of good free software packages out there that you can take advantage of that will transform your own hardware that you already have into something or if you just want to build something very custom to whatever raid level and number of drives and feature support you really need it's totally doable with a lot of cool packages out there however i was really yeah. looking for something that's pretty standalone something i can literally access as a separate computer and it consumes relatively little electricity compared to me trying to run like my workstation in double duty or something <laughs> something ridiculous like that yeah there's a lot out there. I mean, free NAS, NAS for free, Unraid's really interesting. Um, there's also something to be said for uh, not having to figure everything out and just turning something on, uploading the software updates, and then uh, not thinking about it for a while. Totally. And in other NAS projects I've set up before, like one specific to surveillance, basically a box that monitors a bunch of video cameras and does the recording. I'm typically the person when it comes to NAS boxes, buy the cheapest drives you can find at the capacity that's good for you. 
have enough drive bays to where one or two drives can fail <laughs> and live a little dangerously like that. Now, if you want, you can spend more money on NAS-specific hard drives that typically offer two or three times the warranty. They are actually rated for that sort of workload. That is something to consider as well. For my specific setup, when I went with uh, a system dedicated to doing surveillance and writing to a hard drive 99% of the time, I ended up selecting some of the Seagate drives that are specific to surveillance applications, mostly because they also offered rotational vibration dampening support or a sensor mm -hmm. that would actually detect that. Once you start running, especially if you're running say more than eight hard drives. Most hard drives have specific ratings of how many can be grouped together before your warranty no longer applies. Generally speaking, it's well under eight for all the cheap drives. And then you once you start getting into the quote unquote NAS rated drives, some are rated up to being up to eight drives in the same container. And then you finally get to a level where it's like, ah, you can have as many as you need. You're paying us enough at this point. It can be tough to kind of balance back and forth between what hard drive to buy for your NAS. In general, for a non-critical work environment, if I lost all the data, it could be replaced kind of thing. I don't mind using the cheap drives and then just setting up mm -hmm. the drive protection schemes within the NAS appropriately to just warn me well in advance in case something goes wrong. <laughs> it's good to have the warnings. Yeah. Speaking of NAS boxes, we got a tweet from at Garf Nodi who says, at Patrick Norton, do you think putting Dynamat onto drives in the case of a NAS could minimize or even eliminate harmonics? Could be a great way to save money on drives by not needing to buy NAS-specific drives. Maybe. <laughs> I know yeah. that the stability of the box itself, the actual enclosure, is important. I had right. one NAS box that... This is all anecdotal, of course, but this box was in a cage made of uh, like industrial screen material and it mm -hmm. acted like a bit of a spring. I realized that is really not a good place for it because it was constantly vibrating in this environment it was in and simply adding a nice firm base to it that it can rest on, I think went a long way towards keeping it stable as well. I had, right. Ever since I made that small change, I have not lost a drive since. Let me put it that way. But again, that's pretty anecdotal. I don't know if putting something that's designed to convert sound energy into heat, maybe. <laughs> if, I mean, if you were if you were in an environment, I mean, I'd be more worried think... about the increasing the temperature of the drives than I would. It's the exact same thought I had. I was like, putting dynamite on the outside of the case is not going to, I think, help you at all. Because I don't think the case, it's not like there's a huge amount of something. Unless you live in an environment where you know there's huge amounts of sound vibration hitting your case and possibly vibrating your drives inside, and that seems pretty thin to me. I would say putting Dynamat on a drive is more likely going to limit heat transfer from the drive to the air moving through the case that's pulled by the fans that are built into the NAS box. And I'd be a lot more worried about overheating drives. Maybe you know, on the, harmonics. the case. But definitely yeah. not the drives, especially given yeah. the air holes. And it likely wouldn't fit in most NASAs anyway, being any thicker. Yeah. It's going to interrupt airflow around a drive, yeah. which no, no. I can't, I can't think of a good reason to do this. NAS drives aren't targeting harmonics. They're targeting lots of other issues and how the operating systems work. I mean, my bigger concern right now is that almost every drive manufacturer has been uh, 
sliding in some cheap drive technology into their their NAS rated drives that's creating some really horrendous write speeds. But we'll we'll talk about that next week. So if you're thinking about drive buying some NAS drives, just wait until next week and we'll talk about that in a little bit more in depth. Cool. Virtual radar server? I am still addicted to virtual radar server. It's a open I don't know if it's open source. Yeah, I think it is. It is an open source program done out of the folks in the UK. Virtual radar server.co.uk. I use this in conjunction with a software to find radio and an inexpensive antenna. Literally, uh, you can make these yourself quite easily. There are plenty of good guys, actually, for building antennas specific to picking up the frequencies used by aircraft for broadcasting their ADSB signals that help basically with tracking and plotting and information about the aircraft itself. And I'm finding it just quite fun to have a little server running here in the house where I can just pull up a web page on any local device and quickly take a look at what that aircraft is I see flying over, if I'm curious about it. <laughs> and I'm in a place with a lot of air traffic. I think I'm in about three different overlapping airspaces for different airports around me. So I'm going to target rich environment to just take a look and see what's going on it's kind of cool to have that in real time with something you can put together for like 20 bucks 25 bucks literally and i was comparing it to other services out there i'm trying to get this whole thing basically running on a raspberry pi there is a service called flight aware that has their own build specific for the raspberry pi that you can then set up and add your system to it feeds into their collective data gathering in terms of flight tracking. That's kind of neat too, but I really prefer the look of Virtual Radar Server. I know they have a Linux version. I think what I'm going to be doing next is picking up the most beefy latest Raspberry Pi 4 I can find and seeing if that will run that code acceptably. Because if it does, that would just be such a nice little plug and play and kind of forget and not have to keep a full PC running in the background or you yeah. know, an old notebook or something even. This would be a very low power way of providing that web server that's just a, a neat interface to have around the house. It's always nice to have more Raspberry Pis around the house. <laughs> yeah. I literally have the first one I ever bought and I'm still using it and it still works. <laughs> I was laughing. Uh, I saw this title. I was scanning, like looking for stories, and I saw this title that uh, NHK is developing Actina Vision. A 3D TV system that enables natural 3D viewing. And I was like, what? 3D TV is back? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I may have made some scoffing noises that were probably less than polite. Uh, and I read the article, and it's, it sounds fascinating. I'm just going to directly quote uh, TV technology here. To create the 3D image, Actina Vision captures an object from different viewpoints, horizontal and vertical, so as to have multi-viewpoint images. These are then used to reproduce the light rays from the object by increasing the number of multi-viewpoint images and resolution of each image. Natural high-resolution 3D video display can be achieved, says NHK. What? Which basically means <laughs> no glasses, no goggles, 3D viewing with a really complicated, like, I was just like, okay, this is never going to actually, there will never be content on this outside of Japan. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to, to, to be like, yeah, don't, don't, uh. Hold on to that terrible Airbender's disc because, uh, yeah. Well, I'm still not 100% certain of what exactly NHK is talking about in terms of you know, <laughs> using dozens of different viewpoints 
to create these images. But on a channel called Applied Science on YouTube yesterday of all times, this is serendipity, but the gentleman was talking about something called hypercentric optics, where a camera lens set up. And in this case, he's using a, a very large lens up front. And one of the more affordable ones you could find at this size, I think it was 200 millimeter, was a Fresnel lens. And then combining oh, that wow. with a wide standard wide image DSLR on the back of it. And by manipulating those distances between the lens and the camera, it was literally able to grab light coming from around the sides or around an object placed in front of another object. Or to make objects that should appear to become smaller in the distance all appear at the exact same height. And many other curious things that really highlighted the difference between how your brain processes the light coming into your eyes versus how a lens and a computer can really just sort of say, it's all kind of arbitrary when it really comes down to it. <laughs> it was really neat. And this was called uh, Applied Science. The gentleman has a wicked cool channel. Seems to do very, very fascinating linked projects as he goes along. And this one happened to be called Hypercentric Optics, a camera lens that can see behind objects. And he, he quickly goes, <laughs> he quickly cuts through the FUD on that clickbaity uh, <laughs> title. <laughs> and I'll be sure to uh, put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, 300 millimeter. Oh, the 200 is sold out apparently, but the 300 millimeter Fresnel lens is still available. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool channel though. Just for amazing what you can do in a, in a workshop lab. What's up with, uh, you've been listening to Sonos Radio? I fired up the beta software the other day and noticed that this new radio feature is being incorporated into the new, what they were calling S2, which will simply be called the new Sonos software or the Sonos app. When it finally comes out to public, uh, I believe in another month, roughly speaking, it will have this built-in set of content called Sonos Radio and it incorporated several genres. It just simply is making a built-in experience that's right there and good to go. So as soon as you plug it in, before you even need to connect it to your favorite AI assistant or your favorite streaming services, there will be some music and other content ready to go, broken out in a nice, easily accessible means through their app. And this is in addition to other services they're looking to provide for things like small businesses or even big businesses. Anybody who wants to have a way of providing a music experience, a legal source of audio you could play in your restaurant or business and have that be just something simple to set up with good selection and other features as such. Nice. Yeah, I'll be checking that out. I just quickly gave it a preview to see what sort of channels they were experimenting with. It seems to cover any popular genre. I didn't see anything in terms of being able to drive down and request specific tracks, but every mm -hmm. genre I could have asked for was covered in one of the channels offered. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of uh, streaming, Spotify is having a good year. My new favorite pandemic-related quote came in the Spotify Q1 2020 earnings report. Quote, it's clear from our data that morning routines have changed significantly. Every day now looks like the weekend. <laughs> a lot of very confused people <laughs> shuffling around right now. What day is it? What week? Their active users went up like 31% in Q1. Um, and part of the reason I mentioned this is because so many of the streaming companies are, I mean, obviously not Google, obviously not Amazon, but Tidal, for example, is, is uh, I always, I'm always kind of fascinated to see them hanging on there. 
Uh, I'm kind of curious uh, how much longer they hang on. Uh, Kobus is one I've been listening to, but I would also say uh, if you've been listening to Spotify and it suddenly sounds strange on your phone, you might want to double check that uh, in a software update it hasn't reset your streaming quality settings because I discovered my live streaming was at normal and my downloads were not at the because I was listening to something I'm like this should be downloaded on the phone I'm like this sounds like crap and I dug into the phone and I discovered that the phone had reset itself and was downloading kind of the normal quality of audio to store locally on the phone instead of the highest quality that's not right yes it does no it was really agitating because I had to read I would read the download several hundred songs at that point and i was like what i noticed in the household for the last i swear couple weeks we've noticed that our wi-fi speeds were like a quarter of what they usually are at Uh least on the client side within the household and when i ran the speed test on the router itself the one that's built in everything looked fine so i finally realized it was in fact the wireless part of the router setup we use a mesh-based amplify hd system which i absolutely love however Mm -hmm. either in the recent update or something it switched all of the mesh points back to 2.4 gigahertz for better wall penetration granted it did make the signal stronger quote unquote but as soon as i popped it back to 5 gigahertz everything was back to full speed again Hmm. If you ever experience an oddity with any product you own, it's sometimes best just to do a quick internet search (laughs) because (laughs) odds are somebody else has already experienced this and you're not the first. And there's probably a good quick way to narrow down the issue right there online. (laughs) It's always exciting. That's the word I'll use. Exciting. It just could have been solved so much quicker had I just gone right to the internet. I haven't seen the date yet, but something to keep an eye out for. If you've ever wondered what South by Southwest is like, Prime Video presents the South by Southwest 2020 Film Festival Collection. Will not be anything like South by Southwest unless they send around a personal bar and crowd of hipsters to your home when you watch every film. I thought this was interesting, right? South by Southwest, like many things canceled by... uh, Uh, the coronavirus, they are inviting, they are offering uh, filmmakers that had been accepted to the 2020 South by Southwest Film Festival, quote, an invitation to opt in to take part of an online film festival, which will play exclusively on Prime Video in the U.S. for 10 days. And it's going to be in front of the Prime Video paywall and free to quote all audiences around the country that's pretty cool i think it's really cool we don't have a launch date but it says prime video is targeting a late april date so we will see who opts in and uh, if you go to south by southwest.com slash festivals slash film slash lineup slash pound lineup <laughs> which is a really long url it shows uh, all of the different uh, film categories it's kind of crazy because when you look at screening section it's like narrative feature competition documentary feature competition headliners narrative spotlight document it's just there's lots and lots of things to look at and it's always kind of neat when you see something and then that director goes on to do even more great things in the future uh you see a lot of creative stuff a lot of intriguing subjects covered so something to keep an eye out for south by southwest.com slash festivals slash film wait hold on i have an update April 27 to May 6th. Nice. So I missed that update earlier. <laughs> so the film festival collection is live on Prime Video April 27th to May 6th. 39 films, narrative and documentary features, short films, and episodic titles. That's cool. Amazon.com slash South by Southwest. Now you know. 
Excellent. I had one other follow-up, too, from last week. We were talking about how ratings is a terrific website if you're looking for television reviews, and they also have expanded into soundbar and headphone reviews. One thing they also have, we were just talking about ARC versus eARC. They also have an extensive list of what TVs do what with ARC output and their HDMI support going back at least a couple of years. If you're wondering if your TV can do, say, 5.1 pass-through, even though it's not the officially supported thing within ARC mm-hmm. itself, it's a good way just to see. Or a TV you're considering exactly what they've tested and found its audio capabilities can be. So if you do plan on connecting devices directly to it, what can then pass through that ARC output back to the receiver eventually is... Uh, anyway, the good folks at Ratings do have a nice. ter- terrific list of that stuff. Going back, like I said, a couple of seasons. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Quite frankly. Well, I have to get going. It is uh, April 29th, and I got to be in St. Louis in a couple days to start the beginning of the beginning of the middle of the beginning of the beginning of the middle of the beginning of moving. Um, <laughs> if I burst into tears, you've probably moved recently, or you'll understand. But uh, hey, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. We we are kind of back on track for weekly recording, and we really, really appreciate all of you that are along the AVXL ride with us. Do us a favor, email us your questions, ask at avxl.com if you'd like to help us out financially. Uh, and we invite you to do that. And we also know that uh, so many people have been laid off or are furloughed or any of the other things. And we understand if you don't have anything to spare. But if you do, do us a favor, check out patreon.com slash avxl. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.